Hey there, and welcome to Soul Church. Our prayer is that this message encourages you wherever you may be in life. We've been hearing so many stories about what God is doing in people's lives, and we'd love to hear yours. So take a second and send your story to stories at soulchurch.com. Thanks again for joining us today, and we hope that you enjoy the message. God bless. Oh my goodness, we've been looking forward to coming to Soul Church so much, but we had no idea of the celebration it was going to be this morning. It's so exciting, such a privilege to be here with you and celebrating with you. Thank you, pastors uh, John and Chantel, for inviting us and for having us here today. And I just, I'm so excited. We've been blessed a bit by coming here today. I mean, we were going to be blessed anyway, but to sort of hear that incredible news, it is the superlatives of God, isn't it? I mean, in Ephesians, I love the superlatives. Incomparably great God, immeasurably more. And that is what's so incredible. You said it, John, the immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine. The riches of God's grace poured out on and through you. It's so exciting to be here. Thank you for having us. So would you like to take a seat, please? I want just to tell you a tiny bit more about Silver and myself. Last week, we celebrated uh, a significant anniversary. But I'm sorry to say, Silla completely missed it. She didn't even realize. Last week, we had been married exactly 47 and one-third years. <laughs> I count in quarters, thirds, you know. That. Now, for some of you, I know that sounds a long time. But I read an article in the paper of a couple who had been married for more than 80 years. So it really put our marriage in perspective. And there was this lovely uh, newspaper article about this couple who were called Percy and Florence. Percy was 105 at the time of the interview. Florence was 100. And um, this is what Florence said. The marriage had been a success. Lovely British understatement. Because... She said, they still worked hard at it and never retired to bed on a quarrel. Uh, Percy's answer was more concise. He attributed two words to the success of their marriage. Yes, dear. <laughs> Florence continued, it has not been easy, but worth every minute, because he's much more than my best friend. He's the love of my life. Uh, we don't argue much these days, only when I want to watch the soaps on television, which he hates. We have had our arguments, but we work through them together. We always go to bed as friends and always make up before we go to sleep. Every night, we kiss and hold hands. He can't settle down if I'm not holding his hand. Percy nods contentedly. Yes, dear, he says. <laughs> now, many people today are asking the question, how do we build lasting relationships? How do we build close, deep friendships that don't break down as a result of our inevitable differences, our differences of opinion, our differences of personality, our differences of perspective, or through the inevitable ways that we hurt each other? And the question we want to look at this morning is, how should we as God's people, love one another. And the Bible, as I think you'll be aware, is very practical. It tells us how. And there's one passage in particular that we love 
from Colossians, and we come back to it again and again. We want to speak to you about it this morning. And I'm going to read from Colossians chapter 3, starting at verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ Dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. May we pray as we sit. Lord, we thank you so much that you're the God who speaks to us. You speak, Lord, through your word, and you speak by your spirit directly into each one of our hearts. And we pray, Lord, you would speak to everyone here in the room and all those who are listening and watching this online. We pray, Lord, you would come. And we pray that the message of Christ would shape all of our relationships for Jesus' sake. Amen. I want to just put this passage we read into context for you because at the beginning of Colossians chapter 3, Paul is writing to these Christians in Colossae and talking to them about this new life that they have in Jesus. And he's talking about how this is a radical new start. And he says it's radical because you died with Christ, when you became a Christian, you died and then you rose to a new life with Jesus. And then Paul becomes very practical. He tells them how we are to live as Christians. And right at the heart of the passage that we read are three words, three little words, where Paul writes, put on love. And you see, Paul is not describing love just as an emotion, just as feelings, but as something deliberate, something that we deliberately do, as deliberately as we got dressed this morning. And it was this love that caused the early church to grow so rapidly because people all around were so struck by the quality of the relationships between Christians and the love that they showed to all those who lived uh, in the community around them. And Paul is saying this love comes from God. Notice the way that we are addressed. The beginning of the passage Silla read Paul writes, therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy, that is, called, set apart, and dearly loved. We love others, we love each other, out of the knowledge that we are loved by God. Now, this love that we're to put on is the work of the Holy Spirit. And he, the Holy Spirit, is available to every single one of us 
when we start this new life in Jesus, the Holy Spirit fills us with God's love for those around us and gradually changes our hearts. As I said, Paul is very practical and we want to be very practical this morning. In fact, we have four practical points that we want to draw out of these verses from Colossians 3 to talk about what this love looks like, what it means to put on love in a way that will affect all of our relationships with our friends, in our family, at work, with our marriage partner, if we are married, with our children, grandchildren, if we have them, or in a dating relationship. And to help you remember these four points, they each begin with the letter P. And just to warn you, I'll do a little test later, see if you can remember them as we go through. um, I know that here at Soul Church, your mission statement is love in action. And we we kind of didn't realize when we were preparing to speak on this passage that, of course, for you, you are doing this. this. The title of this talk could be Love in Action. And I love that everything we've heard and seen and know about you is you are doing this in action, this love, making this love of Jesus known to those around you. So it's very exciting. So of these four points, I'm going to do number one, number four. Scylla will do number two and number three. And the first P is this, be proactive. Now, I take that from when Paul is describing these articles of clothing that we're to put on, and he says, clothe yourselves with kindness. A kind person is someone who discovers what another person needs and then puts themselves out to meet that need. Now, I don't know about you, but personally, I find it very easy, uh, not least in our marriage, to be reactive. And by that, I mean to react to what I find slightly irritating about things that Scylla does or doesn't do. Now, you may think that after 47 and one-third years of marriage, after something like 27 years of running the marriage course, three times every year, Scylla and I doing live talks at our church in London, uh, three times every year doing the pre-marriage course, the same period of time, you may think we had managed to iron every irritating habit that either of us did out of our marriage. But I'm sorry to tell you, we haven't. We haven't managed it. There are still some things that we do. And I want to give you a little example of something Scylla does, because I'm the one who's speaking, so it's easier for me to do it this way. Something Scylla does that I find irritating. Uh, But I need to give you a tiny bit of background first. In our marriage, I am always the first one who is up in the morning. And the very first thing I do is I go downstairs to our kitchen. I put the kettle on to make a cup of tea for Scylla to take back up to her in bed as she's struggling to, to wake up. Now, when I get down to the kitchen, if Scylla has done the washing up the night before, and I try to do my share of washing up, I don't want to make it sound like she does it all, but if she has done it the night before, she has this irritating habit of not emptying the water out of the washing up bowl. So by the time I get down there in the morning, now of course the water is stone cold, and the grease has congealed around the edge of the bowl. I feel your sympathy even as I tell this story. Some of you shaking your heads in disbelief. I find it amazing too. But it's worse than that. It's not a, she leaves the washing up brush in the water. 
So now the grease has congealed all the way around this brush, and I have to roll up my sleeves, get the hot water going, fish out this brush. Oh, I mean, anyway, I have talked to Scylla about it a number of times over the last 47 and 30 years, and it is true to say, to give her her due, she doesn't do it as often as she did when we first got married. We went to stay with Scylla's sister, brother-in-law, some time ago. I realised her sister does exactly the same thing. <laughs> this is a family trait. I did ask Scylla, uh, told her I was going to tell this story, and I said, could she think of anything that I did that was, you know, just slightly irritating? I was rather shocked. She didn't hesitate. She came up with this long list. And uh, quite close to the top of her list was the fact that if we're leaving the house to go somewhere and we're a bit late, if I am wearing leather shoes, I still insist on giving my shoes a quick polish before we go. Now, I, I think... I don't think you can see. He has got Nubuck boots on, which I gave him to short-circuit that one. So he absolutely cannot polish his shoes anymore. Uh, just in my defence, in case you're thinking it's a strange thing to do, I think if you're going to arrive a bit late, at least turn up with clean shoes. To me, it is perfectly normal. Silla doesn't quite see it that way. Relationships break down when all we do is react to each other's behaviour. Being proactive is when we focus not on the other person's behaviour, but when we focus on their needs. Uh, we know a couple called David and Teresa Ferguson, who'd been married for 30 years when we first met them. And I remember David uh, talking about a turning point in their marriage. He said this, For the first 15 years of our marriage, I focused on my needs and Teresa's faults. For the last 15 years, I have sought to focus on Teresa's needs and my faults. And our marriage has been transformed. And that principle is true not just in marriage, but it's true in every relationship. It's true for every friendship. It's true in every family relationship. It's true with our relationships at work. And the question that we need to ask ourselves is do I know the needs of my friend or my mother or my child or my husband or wife? Do I know their needs at an emotional level? When did I last ask them? How can I best help you? How can I best support you? John said earlier, we've been running the marriage course for many years. And on the, on the marriage course, all the conversations between the couples are entirely private. There's no group work at all. But we, we give the couples often little exercises to do where they fill something in in their journal and that helps in their sort of their conversation with each other. And one of the very first exercises we get them to do is we give them a list of 16 needs or desires, particularly sort of emotional needs or desires that they might have. And it's for Things like our need for attention or support or affirmation or affection, comfort or security. And then we say to each of them, now choose the three which are most important to, for you in order, number one, number two, number three. And then don't look at what your husband or wife or your partner has written. Try to guess which three they have put down. And then you exchange your journals, see what each other has put. And after that first session of the marriage course, there was one wife whose husband is called Steve. She wrote to us an email, and this is what she said. 
When we did that exercise, Steve put, what was very important for him was affirmation. I was shocked. He'd been a very successful partner in a very large company and had an incredibly successful career. He was an upfront type of person who I didn't think needed a lot of affirmation. And I thought, I don't believe this. I'd been married to this person for 22 years and the one thing he needed, I didn't realize. Being proactive is following the example of Jesus. Jesus didn't come to judge us. As Jesus himself said, he came to serve us. He knows all of our needs and he gave himself to meet our greatest need of all, our need for forgiveness by dying for us on the cross. And this word, kindness, where Paul writes, clothe yourselves with kindness, he uses that word twice in the original Greek, in expressing how we are to act towards each other. But he uses exactly the same Greek word seven times in talking about God's kindness towards us. And there's one where he's right, Paul is writing to Titus, and he describes the gospel like this. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared. The first secret to making relationships work is clothe yourselves with kindness. Be proactive. The second practical way that St. Paul urges us to put on love, just like Nikki said, to literally, intentionally put on, like you put on your shirt, your blouse, your trousers, your whatever, today to come here, you put them on. And it's what he's urging us to do. And the second way is to be positive. Now, we all know that negative people are hard to be around. It's just not fun being around negative people. As Christians, we have so much to be grateful for. Whatever our circumstances, whatever our situation, we all have so much to be positive about. I mean, this morning is a wonderful example of just God's overflowing kindness to us in making this possible for your new home. Um, I can't remember the name of the place. Heartsease. Heartsease, heartsease, exactly. And we have so, so much to be thankful for. And in this passage, Paul um, says three times in three verses, be positive about what you have. Verse 15, he says, and be thankful. Verse 16, as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And verse 17, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God, the Father, through him. And when we cultivate, and I think that, that word is a wonderful word, cultivate, to look after, to nurture. It's like what we do with a garden. Um, when we cultivate a positive, grateful attitude, it impacts all of our relationships. Positive people are encouraging people. They look for what is the best in others. And it's amazing being around them. Um, many of you I know will have heard of someone called Nicky Gumbel. Nicky Gumbel um, is, uh, has, um, yeah, well, he is our oldest friend. And Nicky, my Nicky, 
and Nikki Gumble were um, best friends at school from the age of 13. And then actually, Nikki. Actually, Nikki will tell you he was 12. I was 13. He always reminds me I'm much older than him. (laughs) And then at university, we all came to faith through the same mission in the same week in 1974, which was an amazing thing. And then we've ended up working as colleagues together for over 38 years, 40 years together. And it's been an amazing thing. But honestly, I just want to tell you, we know Nikki very, very well. And Nikki is honestly the most encouraging person I've ever met, we've ever met. And You know, we know, we know personally, Nikki and I, that we would not have done half the things that we have done in our life if it hadn't been for Nikki Gumbel encouraging us to do it, and particularly to do with the marriage course. And um, actually, he was the one who said to us, you need to write a marriage book with all the stuff in it um, before the course goes anywhere else. And, oh, my gosh, it, was, it took us three years yeah, to write this say, book. You try writing a wife... Uh, writing a wife? <laughs> so sorry. You try writing a book with your husband or wife if you're married. It is one of the greatest tests of marriage <laughs> that you can ever do. And, and something you need to know is, Nicky, before he was a pastor, he was a teacher, an English teacher. So, so the manuscripts would go backwards and forwards, and I, I would get the bit that he'd done, and I'd say, there's no feeling in here. Where's the passion? Where's the emotion? Where's the feeling? So I'd write all this stuff, and then it would go back to him, and then he'd get out his red biro, and he'd go... I'd find oh. the feeling word. <laughs> One word changed the whole thing. <laughs> anyway, Nicky Gumbel was absolutely so encouraging to us. And, you know, encouragement really is literally giving people courage. And we all need it. You know, we we so quickly feel inadequate. We lack confidence. We think, oh, they can do it, but I can't. But actually, we can empower people through being encouraging. And, you know, it is so important. And it's for every relationship. You know, whether it is our husband or wife, whether it's our colleague at work, whether it's the person in the supermarket as we're paying for our shopping, on the dream team to encourage and spur one another on with our kids and so on. Every relationship, it really makes a difference. And it's not only the words we actually speak to them, but it's the way that we speak that makes a difference too, the kindness in our words. I want to tell you about a time when, so John said we've got four kids, and I want to tell you about a time when our middle son, so we have a daughter and three boys, and our middle son, Barney, was about 14. And um, so we had a house full of teenagers, and my relationship with Barney was not going well at all. I mean, it really wasn't. It was pretty stressful. And one day, Barney came home and... Oh, sorry. I I meant to say this, first of all. One day, I realized I was the problem. And that's quite something to, to, you know, as a parent. I was actually the problem. Barney came home from school one day and he said to me, Mom... Why are you always so stressed with me? And that really brought me up short. I thought, gosh, really? Am I? 
I didn't even know I was sounding stressed with him. And, and that really stopped me in my tracks. And so we actually had to have a serious talk. We sat and had a long conversation about it, and he described what it was like to be around me. And I can tell you, it didn't sound much fun. And I started to reflect on this and um, realized I, I probably was like that because I was so worried about him. Barney and I are quite similar. And um, I was worried about where he was, who he was with, what he was doing, what he was getting up to. And because I was a bit of a rebel as a teenager, and I thought, I know Barney's doing things that I'd be not happy about him doing. And that had made me get stressed with him before he'd done anything. And so I had to really very intentionally decide to change the way I spoke to him and how I sounded. And that was really challenging for me. And I gave him permission to say, if, if I kind of slipped back into being stressful, mom, you're sounding stressed with me. And that helped. And over a number of weeks, I, I, I had to work hard at it, but I really had to ask God for his help, to help me change. And that's what's so amazing about God. He loves to change us and to help us by the power of his spirit. And I can honestly say after a, a, a few weeks, my relationship with Barney really turned around and changed. And we went on in a different way. And now I'm very glad to say he's 38 and we have a great relationship. And Nikki and I know, and we have found in our own relationship, that actually the more we express appreciation to each other, and it's so easy not to, particularly in a marriage, we just think and assume they know. But to express appreciation to each other, the more appreciative we become of one another. A third practical way that St. Paul urges us to put on love is to be patient. Verse 12, he says, clothe yourselves with patience. Bear with one another. Relationships are spoiled through a quick temper. And Paul, and we didn't read this bit, but a few verses earlier, he says this. Rid yourselves of all anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Now, we all recognize in a home in a workplace, in a marriage. It is really, we can't relax if we never know when the next explosion is going to come. It's like treading on eggshells. Or, not an explosion, but the opposite. A mood, being in a sulk, blanking. That is not a nice place to be in. And I, I recognize in myself that my temper can be short for various different reasons, whether it's through anxiety, stress, tired, uncertainty. I think the, the pandemic showed us that uncertainty and the whole time of uncertainty was very challenging on our emotions. But you know, one thing about everything else that causes a quick temper is anger. And when anger is buried, buried inside us, when we hold on to it, when anger is unresolved. One psychologist said, an emotion is never buried dead. It's always buried alive. Anger held inside us becomes hate. 
And the key to patience, the key to bearing with one another comes in the next phrase in verse 13. Forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Martin Luther King said, forgiveness is not just an occasional act. It is a permanent attitude. And that's why Jesus gave us and encouraged us in the Lord's Prayer to pray this. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Now, of course, this is challenging. It's all very well to say it, but it's very challenging. And forgiveness isn't easy. Forgiveness is hard. Forgiveness is challenging. And I, I, I find it very, very helpful personally, thinking of forgiveness as something that we let go of. We are literally letting go. Whatever is built up inside, we are intentionally choosing to let go. All the stuff, the negative stuff, we let go of our self-pity. We let go of our pride. We let go of that seeking for revenge. I want to tell you um, about a couple. And, I, and we, as we were preparing, I wanted to, we wanted to tell this story because it, it's about a lovely Christian couple called um, Gordon and Joan Wilson who... Um, we knew, uh, and they lived in Northern Ireland and had three children, have three children, and, um, and they grew up, they brought these children up in um, the troubles in Northern Ireland during the 70s, 80s, and 90s. But I felt for, for today, you know, this story is as relevant today with, with the tragedy and the sadness of what is going on in the Middle East today, the same kind of conflict in the Middle East between people. And it was like this in Northern Ireland. And um, Gordon and Joan, their, their three children were in their 20s. And um, on Remembrance Day in 1987, Gordon went with his daughter Marie, who was um, a nurse in her 20s. And they went to um, the Remembrance Day service and they were caught up in an IRA bomb. And the, the IRA bombed the cenotaph um, where the service was, and the building behind Gordon and Marie collapsed on top of them and, and some other people. And they, uh, the emergency services came, and they, they got them out from under the rubble, and they took them to hospital. And um, Marie died in hospital that day. Gordon survived. And um, on that very day, the BBC interviewed Gordon Wilson. And he described in that interview his last conversation with his daughter when they were buried underneath the rubble. And this is what he said. She held my hand tightly and gripped me as hard as she could. Daddy, I love you very much. Those were her exact words to me, and those were the last words I ever heard her say. But I bear no ill will. I bear no grudge. Angry talk is not going to bring her back to life. She was a great girl. She loved her profession. She was a sweetheart. She's dead. She's in heaven, and we shall meet again. I will pray for these men tonight and every night. And an English historian 
looking back on the troubles in Northern Ireland, wrote this. No words in more than 25 years of violence in Northern Ireland had such a powerful emotional impact. And Gordon Wilson, having lost his daughter in that tragic way, went on to become a key part and a key person involved in the peacekeeping process in Northern Ireland for the rest of his life, seeking to bring the people who were fighting one another. And it was Protestants and Catholics, as well as just more wider people. And he was absolutely dedicated his life to bringing them together and to live in peace rather than revenge. And Paul says in Colossians, forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. And however big, however difficult the forgiveness is, it will never be bigger than what Jesus has forgiven us for on the cross. I want to see if you remember the first three P's. So the first P was be proactive. Well done. You were listening. And that comes from clothe yourselves with kindness. Second P is be, be positive. Comes from Paul's telling us be thankful. The third P is be patient. Forgive one another as the Lord has forgiven you. And the last P is be peaceful. And by that, I mean be full of God's peace. Uh, just after saying those three words, put on love, Paul writes, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. You see, when we're at peace on the inside, we can be at peace on the outside. So when we know that we are loved by God, we are able to love others. I want to tell you a story about a couple called Billy and Debbie. They were in their 30s, they'd be married for eight years. They had no church involvement at all. And when Billy's dad died, Billy made a conscious decision to harden himself and not let himself get close to anybody ever again because he didn't want to be hurt in the same way. And he became bad-tempered and not much fun to be around. And then when Debbie's mother died and Debbie was very upset, Billy said Debbie hadn't been much help to him, so why should he be of much help to her? And instead, he started blaming her that their marriage was falling apart. Well, Billy and Debbie went to Paris to try to rekindle their love. And they said they still loved each other, but they couldn't talk to each other. And Debbie said this, our relationship was coming to an end. Everything was just going rapidly downhill. And I couldn't fix it, and neither could Billy. And it was at that point they met some Christians who invited them to come to do Alpha in their home. And Alpha, as you may know, is an introduction to the Christian faith. And there were 10 or 12 people there in this couple's sitting room. And they had a meal together. And then Peter, who was hosting Alpha, said, we're going to watch a talk on the TV and then have a discussion. And Debbie thought, gosh, that sounds really boring. But she said it wasn't. She said it was really interesting. She loved the films, found the discussions, fascinating, and both Billy and Debbie got more and more excited as the weeks went on. And it was after the third week of Alpha, by which time Debbie had already committed her life to Christ, that Billy sat on his bed and he said this to God, Lord, I've lived in this world for 32 years without you, 
And I've just heard about you for the first time. I'm so, so sorry for all the things I've done wrong. I need you in my life. And then he described what happened. He said, as the weeks went on, I started to forgive everyone who'd ever hurt me in my life. And I felt the bitterness being lifted from my heart. And Debbie said, after that, our marriage began to mend big time. It felt like we just started all over again. And all those years before were just nothing. I felt like I hadn't lived. I felt like I was opening my eyes for the very first time, seeing everything new and fresh. As for Billy, he was like a new person more loving, more caring. I fell in love with him all over again. And Billy concluded, what God has done in my life is amazing. I was the most ungentle person you've ever met. And God has come into my life and turned it around. Patience wasn't a virtue for me. I didn't have it. But now I find I rarely get angry. I don't raise my voice. I couldn't possibly have made that much of a change in myself on my own. There is only one person responsible, Jesus. It's Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Now, I don't think Billy knew it at the time, but that is a pretty good summary of what Paul writes in Colossians. It's all about Jesus. Where he writes, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Put on love today and every day. Would you like to stand, please? And we want to pray. The Lord is here. And Jesus makes this wonderful promise in the Gospels. In Luke's Gospel, he says, How much more will your Father in heaven give? his spirit to those who ask him. And he says, no other requirements, nothing else, no other way to qualify, but that you ask. And every time we come together like this, and we ask the Father to pour out his spirit upon us, he comes, his spirit comes and moves amongst us. Sometimes we feel his presence, we feel what he's doing. Sometimes we don't feel him at all. And sometimes he whispers, there's something in our minds. We, we hear his voice. Maybe there's a person that you've had in mind, particularly a relationship all the way through. Sil and I have been talking. And let's pray now. You might like to close your eyes. You might like to just hold your hands out in front of you as a way of saying to God, Lord, I want to receive everything you have to give me today. Father in heaven, we thank you so much. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you came for each one of us. You came to give your life that we might have life. Now, Father, in the name of Jesus, pour out your Spirit upon us. Come, Holy Spirit, we pray. God's Spirit is moving amongst us here. He's here. Open your hearts to Him. Open your lives to Him. He comes to bring you good things, to set you free, 
to show you his love. Paul writes about God's love being poured into our hearts by his Holy Spirit. And to some of you right now, he just wants to say to you, I love you. I love you. I know all about you. And I love you. And there may be some people here who have never did what, done what Billy did, asking Jesus to come into their life. And I want to give you an opportunity to do that right now, just to speak to Jesus personally. I'm going to put a prayer into the first person. You can make this prayer your own. Lord Jesus, thank you for your love for me. Thank you that you came into this world for me. Thank you you died on the cross to forgive me for everything I've ever done, for everything I will do. And Lord, I'm so sorry, so sorry for the ways I've hurt others. Lord, I need you. Please, would you come into my life by your Spirit. Come in, Lord, to be with me forever. I welcome you, Lord, into my life. And if you've prayed that prayer, I want to assure you that Jesus has heard you, that he's come, and his promise is never to fail you, never to forsake you, but to be with you forever. And one day you will see him as he is in heaven. You'll be with him there. And, and I've, I think what he, Jesus also wants to say that as you come to him and as you seek to follow him, that you become part of his family. And in becoming part of his family, that's all of us here, that you belong. You belong in this family. And I think somebody today, you need to hear that. And God is saying to you, you are chosen to be a part of this family. You belong here. Welcome home. I love that they call this place a house, a home. And Jesus is saying to you, welcome home today. I also, as we were praying before um, coming here, I, I felt God give me the word peacemakers. And I felt that he was saying he's raised up, but he's raising up peacemakers in this community of God. And just as he raised up Gordon Wilson in a very extreme situation to be a peacemaker. Actually, he is raising us up. We are all peacemakers in Jesus' name. But I think today, God is witnessing by his Holy Spirit to some of you. you. You maybe are already involved in some area with people where you are being a peacemaker. It may be in your family. It may be in the community. It may be in your workspace. Maybe some different circumstance. And I, I just want to pray. I think God wants to anoint you empower you in that role you may not even realize but even now in your heart in your spirit you're quickened you're you feel 
This is God saying, yes, yes. This is the longing of God's heart, but he's put it in me. So Lord, I, I want to ask that for anyone in that position, and it may be that you are at home watching this, and you know that's you. Lord, would you come by your Holy Spirit and anoint and empower your child to be a peacemaker in whatever circumstances and situation they find themselves in. Equip them. Give them your love. Clothe them with your love and may they be a channel of your love and your peace to others. I want to pray just one more prayer. Some of you, when Scylla was talking about forgiveness, there was somebody who came very sharply into focus for you, or maybe in a group of people, and you know that you need to forgive them. And I want to give you the opportunity to do that. I, I don't pretend for a moment that it's easy, but forgiveness is a choice before it's a feeling. And I want to give you the opportunity to choose to forgive that person or those people for what they've done or haven't done to you. And I want you to keep your eyes closed and imagine for a moment that person who has hurt you or those people are standing in front of you, see them in your mind's eye. And you say to them, just silently in your heart, you, you did this to me and you hurt me like this or like that or you didn't do this or that. You hurt me. But today, I choose to forgive you. As the Lord has forgiven me, with his strength, with his help, I choose to forgive you now. And this may not be the first time you've done that. Sometimes where we've been hurt deeply, we need to make that choice, that forgiveness choice, a daily occurrence. But as we do so, gradually, gradually, we find the hurt being healed, the bitterness being lifted from our hearts. And Lord, I want to pray for anyone and everyone who has done that right now, has chosen to forgive, that you, Lord, would set them free. We pray you would heal the way they've been hurt. We pray you'd enable them to put what has been done to them into your hands. Just imagine Jesus standing with his hands outstretched in front of you. Put that hurt into Jesus' hands now. He is the Lord who is full of perfect love, perfect mercy, perfect justice. You can trust him with it. And would you set them free, Lord? Set them free for Jesus' sake. Thanks again for tuning in. If you said yes to Jesus today by saying the salvation prayer, we'd love for you to email connections at soulchurch.com so we can talk to you a little bit more about this incredible decision you've just made. And if at any point in the service you felt moved to give towards any of our local or global initiatives, head to soulchurch.com. And don't forget to stay connected with us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube by searching at Soul Church UK. Take care and God bless.